uh, in die infection rate and each measure <coughs> and <coughs> gezondheid. Listen, we got the Rona, guys. Is, is, is Sorry. Is that Corona kicking in? Friday, May 8th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Molly Quell, contributing editor at Dutch News, who now prefers to be called Bleep Bloop, and with me today are Gordon Derrick, my fellow <laughs> contributing editor at Dutch News and long-distance travel expert, and Paul Peters, master student in civil engineering, and Toch Vierloch. Your, your job title is not Bleep Bloop. It's no. Bleep Bloop. That's I'm. This is how I've decided you have to pronounce this. So I'm just okay. saying it's blue. Okay, okay. okay. You're, you're doing a little prince thingy. We are, of course, making a reference to uh, to everyone's favorite insane tech billionaire, Elon Musk, <laughs> yes. who had his kid this week, and the kid's <laughs> name, as he said, is just like an un- series of unpronounceable symbols. Mm-hmm. And then I saw later on Twitter that his wife, who is the pop singer, sort of singer, whatever, Grimes. Uh, tweeted an explanation for the symbols and she made a typo and then Elon Musk well actually her in the reply Brilliant. and she was like fuck you I just gave birth to a kid so he, so he yeah. mansplained his own child to the child's mother this this relationship yes. is gonna is gonna like last twelve like, hours after yeah. she she pushed the child out. Yeah, of her is, body. is he is it is the number okay. in the child's name a reference to how many days the relationship has got left? <laughs> well, I mean, he, Musk was already threatening to sell all of his stuff, so I mean, presumably they're homeless. I don't know. So yeah. I, of course, posted on Twitter something ridiculous about how I was now going to be changing my byline on all my stories right. to M O L Q dash thirteen or something. Which I've decided is pronounced bleep yeah. bloop. Yeah, he, he, the, the, the good thing is that the um, if, if the, when the kid can grow up, move to the Netherlands, and have a customized number plate, you know, uh, very cheaply, because that's basically what a Dutch <laughs> number plate looks like. That was my first that, thought when I saw the name. That's very <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. That's very true, yeah. Uh, I saw the tweet with the explanation of the name, and I originally thought that was a parody account of some sort. Someone just made something up, but then no. it turned out to be the actual mother. Yeah, well, Elon Musk's account Elon always Musk- looks like a parody account. Yeah. 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 Elon Musk is a parody account of tech billionaires. He's a parody, he's real. He's a parody human being, really, isn't he? Yeah, that's that's also true. <laughs> so, uh, so, Gordon, you've been doing long-distance traveling this week, I hear? Uh, no, I would like to say I've not been uh, doing any long-distance traveling or breaking any lockdown rules. Uh, I think this is a reference to the uh, my, my, um, my son's homework this week. Which is all yes. about which is all about long distance travel, and I just thought the schools are starting to troll us, aren't they? It's like <laughs> it's, it's like so he, he got out his geography homework, and it's all about where you can go by train, and you know if you want to go a really long way, you can go by plane. Whereas in reality, you know th- 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 these days you can't you go anywhere. Yeah, if you, if you want to go a long distance, is a distance that you can cover on a um, like on, like on on a skateboard. So you know, I just thought this is completely inappropriate, and I'm th- seriously thinking about filing a complaint. And when because I think it, it's tra- the, uh, click line. Yeah, it, it, it's traumatized me. Well, I think I need to call my therapist first of all. Oh, Don't mind the click line. <laughs> so, yeah. Which you can't visit. Because yeah, of the you exactly. Yeah, yeah which, you can yeah. do virtual therapy sessions. Yeah, we'll have a Zoom call. Yeah, that's true. For me, long distance travel in Corona times is not going to the Albert Heijn, which is closer by, but to the Jumbo, which mm. is ah, ex- a couple of hundred meters further away. Exotic. So, a bold yeah. move. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't need a plane for that, unfortunately. Do, do you pack sandwiches when you go to the Yimbo? You know, like like, uh, du- like Dutch people I mean, do when they go on any long distance trip. So <laughs> true. Anything, yeah. uh, packing my packing my potatoes and my pindakas. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I I do actually pack my pindakas and my potatoes, but I do that at the shop. Right. Because okay. Then I uh, had just bought the the items, but yeah. And while you're buying those items, you're lecturing people about uh about the the. Complicated statistical models that epidemiologists use, Paul. That's what I. That's what I've heard. I don't do such a thing. Oh, that's well. I've heard the rumors that you are uh, a toogvierloog. Oh, I'm a toogvierloog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. Tr- I think everybody is a toogvierloog yeah, uh, right yeah. now. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, I think. Oh yeah, CNN. It was CNN, CNN. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, CNN, CNN yeah. published an article about uh, uh, how the Dutch are inventing new words, corona-related words, yeah. um, 
Well, actually, the Dutch always uh, invent a lot of words. That's what we do, uh, especially when it's uh, related to current affairs. But yeah, the coronavirus has sparked a, a, a lot of words. We discussed them, I think, last week or the week before. Last that. week, yeah. One of them, for example, yeah. is Corona Moo, yeah. so that you're tired of, of, of the coronavirus or the lockdown. But uh, CNN wrote an article with uh, non-existing words, uh, a lot of non-existing words. I never heard of them. And one of them was Toogviroloog, yeah. and it sort of means... Means uh, fake virologist. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't even aware Toog was a, uh, a, 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 a meant fake in Dutch. So uh, I didn't recognize this word at all. Yeah. To be honest, they also just included yeah. words that, uh, that that weren't that haven't been created in the Corona time. They've been in the language for years, like uh, how to hunger, which was. Which I think the first one they mentioned. Which is an awful yeah. word, by the way. But yeah. So either the words already existed or. Uh, they didn't exist, so yeah. yeah, it was it was a weird article. But someone pointed out that uh, this probably applies to Belgium because uh, a lot of these words are more commonly used in um, in uh, in Flemish. Yeah. So, in my singular moment of uh, superiority, when I saw this, I knew what this meant because I, of course, have a Belgian Dutch <laughs> instructor, uh-huh. um, and Toog does not mean fake; it means bar. So it's like it's like the word. Kruch oh, in so, Dutch. Yeah, so you're like a saloon bar virologist. Exactly. Yeah, so it's yeah. like the guy sitting at the bar spouting a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. That's what like this actually uh, means. And when I saw it, I was oh. like, oh, I never heard Dutch people use that word before. Maybe it's kind of old fashioned. And then Niels was like, no, that's that's Belgian. <laughs> I know I do know Toch in the in the context of a bar yeah. because it basically means the counter of a bar. But uh, yeah, if you explain it like that, like some sort of drunk person who is is uh, speaking a lot of nonsense about. A, a topic then it makes more sense i think but i've heard i don't, maybe this is also an old-fashioned thing but i have heard my dutch instructor make sort of jokes about this before like if we're reading a news article and like they're doing a man on the street interview and this person is saying you know something this is obviously way before corona because my dutch instructor was 77 years old so i'm clearly not seeing him at the moment um and so you know if they were you know doing a man on the street interview and the guy would be saying something about like i don't know the like stick stuff thing and th- he would say like oh yeah like he's a toh whatever the you know, sort of thing oh. so i think it gets used as a preference at least in my like limited experience i mean i don't i'm not an expert on belgian on the belgian language but hmm. yeah i uh i i never heard it in the in in, yeah. in that way to be honest but yeah uh it's uh it makes a lot of sense if you explained like that yeah. i think yeah so Paul, we have like extended our path. This is, is yeah, like is, we have like it a, it's is, not it is, it's not path saga this week. It's like it a, is an Opeth saga. Yeah. yeah, it's like the free bird of Opeth. Yeah, like, yes, it yeah. is. I, I, it will be. Yeah. A very long story, but yeah. trust me, it will be worth it because it is the accumulation of two decades of opeth. Yeah, I, 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 in, I, think, I think this could be serialized and put on Netflix in a moment. Seriously, yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. So, so yeah. listeners, tuck in, get get yourself a cup of yeah. coffee, get yourself a cup of tea. Paul is going to tell you a story, a big, uh, yeah, and a, and a big bag of uh, a big bucket of popcorn. Yeah, yes. or some lavender stroke waffles. No, not no, lavender stroke waffles. No. <laughs> no. The uh, OPEF of the week is about an hour-long video published by brand new and soon-to-be public broadcaster Ongehoord Nederland. In a video, former VVD MP Eibeltje Bergmoes interviews LPF leader I'm Pim sorry, Fortuyn. hang on, hang on. <laughs> what is her name? Eibeltje Bergmoes. We will come to her <laughs> later. Okay. Right. And she is interviewing murdered LPF leader Pim Fortuyn. He was shot dead in 2002. Yes, you heard that she was interviewing him. Well, after uh, he'd been murdered. After he had right. been murdered. The interview was was, uh, uh, was uh, recorded uh, two days ago. And they did this with the help of notorious TV psychic Robert van den Broeke, who made contact with Fortuyn and channeled his answers to Eibeltje's questions from the afterlife. There is a lot to unpack here, as I said, but I promise it will be worth it because this is truly the accumulation of two decades of, uh, of worth of Ophef. I start with Pim Fortuyn. We need to explain who he is. He was a politician uh, and he can be seen as the founder of right-wing populism in Dutch politics. He was murdered in 2002, only a few days before the elections, but his anti-immigration ideas have lived on in people um, uh, like uh, Rita Verdonk, Geert Wilders and most recently Thierry Baudet. Then let's go to Eibeltje Bergmoes. Her name 
might ring a bell because a couple of years ago she w- she caused some upheaval when she was crowned the least visible <laughs> MP ever to sit in Parliament. In the six years she was an MP, she almost never participated in debates or asked ministers a question. She wrote a book about her time in the Tweede Kamer afterwards in which she explained that she usually would just wait the entire day in her office to vote and then spend her time watching Netflix. We discussed her on the podcast we must uh, have done. Uh, yeah. three years ago. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, I know we have because her name is on my name of ridiculous Dutch names exactly. for my yes, eventual yes, rants yes. about Dutch names. Yeah. So so she's called the Netflix MP, basically, because mm-hmm. you know, she uh, she was just watching yeah. Netflix all the time while being paid uh, quite handsomely for, yeah, for her an work MP as an MP. Yeah. Uh, next, we have the notorious TV psychic Robert van den Broeke. He was immortalized in 2000 after he asked someone in a televised reading uh, uh, if a deceased relative had worked as a genverbrander. That's an important <laughs> word. Yes, a very, yes, important. A very uh, interesting word. One viewer googled the non-existing word and noticed there was only one hit which led to a uh, genealogy website. Yeah. And on that particular webpage all the information von den Broeke claimed to have received from spirits uh, could have, could be found revealing him to be an absolute fraud <laughs> of course he was by definition an absolute fraud because he was a psychic but yeah. that's uh, that's another story <laughs> uh, this was all on television by the way the word genverbrander turned out to be a typo it should have been geneverbrander ah. someone who produces genever uh, that's the Dutch version of gin and this upheaval was so large that the word genverbrander <laughs> even became the word of the year in 2005 <laughs> there's so there's so many alphaves contained in this alphave. Yeah. Exactly. So that's why this story is taking yeah, so long. It's like a, a Russian few, doll a of alphaves. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> a few weeks ago, Van der Broeke's Facebook page went viral. He had posted photos of himself with burn, burnt masks on his forehead, reading G5, and he claimed that aliens were trying to <laughs> warn him against the dangers of 5G. Oh so God. that's why they had written G5 on his forehead. Ah. And lastly, lastly, we come to the broadcaster Ontroord Nederland itself. Uh, it's uh, 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 The Dutch public broadcasting system is way too complicated, but it basically means that if you have enough signatures then you can start your 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 own broadcaster on the on the public uh, tv channels mm. uh, and they has caused some upheaval themselves uh, it, it the, the the broadcaster was founded last year by a number of people including Eibeltje whose goal was to have a right-wing broadcaster that could balance the left-wing identities of the other uh, currently existing broadcaster they managed to collect the required amount of 50,000 signatures but they haven't officially started yet but instead they uh, publish uh, in the meantime a number of YouTube videos uh, in which they increasingly started to spread conspiracy theories, for example, about 5G and Bill Gates. Um, Pim Fortuyn in this interview has warned us against a number of things, including 5G, uh, rising sea levels, interestingly enough, mm. and also uh, against uh, Bill Gates, who was uh, who he described as an uh, as an evil person. Um, I I I tried to watch the hour long interview. I managed <laughs> to do it until 20 minutes because it started to become unbearable but it was just too ridiculous for words. I saw you were live tweeting it at the time as well. Can, yeah. I just, can I say one like positive thing about all of this that I just sort of appreciate? I, I like how the crazy Dutch conspiracy version of Fox News with their TV psychics and their holograms and their whatever the fuck still believes in climate change. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, was, I was watching it and I thought, is, he, is Pim Fortuyn warning us against uh, uh, climate change? Yeah. Something that uh, right-wing politicians uh, quite typically deny. So, so I was I was kind of surprised yeah. by that, to be honest. Yeah. So props to Pimvertown for being, you know, sensible about some things, yeah. at least. Indeed. The first thing Eibeltje asked if she could, um, uh, you know, use the, the formal U instead of the... Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, the informal U instead of the formal U, which right. is tutoyeren in Dutch, and that was the first question. I was like, oh, this is going to, this is going to be ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. so... And uh, also, Pim said it's, he's not a conspiracy theorist, even though he just warned us against <laughs> yeah, Bill Gates. Did he, yeah. Even though he just listed a whole string of conspiracy theories. Yeah, yeah. Did, yeah. did, did he mention George Soros as well for the full um, the full bingo card? Uh, well, in the first twenty minutes, I watched not, okay. but there were still more forty minutes to go, so I'm sure he mentioned him. Yeah. This week, we've got the latest on the corona measures being lifted, a surreal Remembrance Day, a plea from the Anna Frank house, and not one, but two animal stories. 
The Dutch government outlined its roadmap to ease the coronavirus restrictions on Wednesday, with Prime Minister Mark Rutte saying there's room to relax some of the rules as long as hospitals are not overloaded and the elderly and people in poor health remain protected. The Prime Minister said we are switching from stay home as much as possible to stay home if you have symptoms. He stressed the one and a half meter rule will remain in place and people are encouraged to work from home as much as possible and also to avoid busy places. He added that we will have to live with the virus for a long period of time while we wait for the development of a vaccine. In the meantime, we will have to get used to the new normal of the one and a half meter society. Health Minister Hugo de Jonge said the three aims remain to protect the vulnerable, make sure the health service does not become overloaded and to get greater insight into the way the virus spreads. Testing is also being stepped up to include more categories with police and public transport workers being added to the priority list. Uh, by June, the Jonge promised everyone who is showing symptoms of coronavirus will be able to be tested. Uh, testing will also uh, be followed by an intensive tracking program organized by local health boards so that the spread of the virus can be contained. The government is also in talks with employers, groups and other organizations to look at ways to reorganize working hours to better spread passengers across public transport. Rutte expects Rutte expects problems will arise, uh, which we uh, have not taken into account, but it is possible to come to practical solutions, and we have shown we can do that in the past few weeks, Rutte said. Sure. So uh, this ma- this roadmap contains of uh, four milestones, um, four dates, uh, that's May 11th, June 1st, July 1st, and September 1st, uh, and on that date they expect to relieve um, the measures or uh, reduce them, uh, but there is an important, uh, 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 there remains an important disclaimer, and that is, as long as the numbers are good, yeah. um, this can this can happen, and if, if, if the numbers uh, turn out to get worse, then all these measures all the reliefs uh, can be uh, can be turned back um yeah uh, at any notice basically uh, so let's just uh, walk through the milestones uh, on may 11th so that's already on monday next monday um we will uh switch from the stay at home as much as possible to stay home if you have symptoms the government announced experiments uh, will be uh, put in place to allow uh, visits to nursing homes um, that involves 25 um, nursing homes currently, and if this experiment turns out to be successful, then it will be um, then uh, more nursing homes will allow uh, visitors. And also, Molly, this this one is especially for you. Yeah. Hair salons, beauticians, and nail bars, uh, <laughs> etc. They can reopen on Monday on the condition that they work by appointment and only. And this is quite interesting as long as they check with clients in advance if they have no symptoms. And it basically means that if you call into your hairdresser, make an appointment, they will ask if you show any symptoms. Yeah. And if so, then they will they they will make the appointment. And if not, then uh, then it's basically fuck you. Um, yeah, so, so, yeah, yeah you, have have to, you, have kind of, you have to kind of self-diagnose, don't you? So if you if, if you turn up, uh, uh, well, when you turn up for your appointment, they're going to check whether or not you've kind of been coughing or spluttering in the last few days, and um, uh, but before they actually um, let you have your hair cut. Yeah. So Niels yeah. went yeah. to the Mont hygienist yesterday for the first time in months. He was, his appointment is. Perpe- like got cancelled and then it's just been perpetually moved back because they were not doing they were only doing uh, acute like sort of treatment for a while yeah. so you could only go to the dentist if you broke a tooth but now they're back um, yeah and they asked him this long series of questions and he they had like a pretty complicated process set up so that people don't interact with each other in the waiting room and apparently they also made him wash his mouth out with like some kind of disinfectant solution which yeah. also <laughs> tasted disgusting um, but he said What's otherwise it, it went fine yeah I think basically it was, uh, <laughs> yeah. it was 5G radiation actually yeah yeah it sounds like that kind of um the test they take at the end of each episode of vs de mole you know to sit there and like answer 20 questions (laughs) and then then, now i'd love the idea then your hairdresser or your or your your physiotherapist or something will still sit there with a computer and stare at you (laughs) and you have to wait to see whether the red or the green screen comes up yeah (laughs) that would be amazing i um yes but i have a hair appointment already so i'm looking forward to going to going back and getting and getting my hair cut i'm not sure i would have jumped on the bandwagon quite so quickly if we weren't sort of you know two healthy adults who are not you know sort of coming into contact with people who are more at risk um because i don't i think it's kind of weird I suspect it will feel weird to go out, um, you know, to like go shopping or something. I'm finding it kind of very anxiety inducing to sort of be 
in the shops because it's hard to sort of maintain the distance and that kind of stuff. And I'm less worried about the virus, but more worried about like people getting frustrated and like, you know, ending up in sort of like altercations with people or making other people feel uncomfortable and that kind of thing. So I've been sort of avoiding it as much as possible. I can't imagine I'm going to dive right back in, but I do need a haircut. So I'm going to get a haircut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I can't remember if Richard said it explicitly in his press conference, but the government have also said that if you're over 70, you basically still have to stick to the uh, rules of stay home as much as possible, don't you? Yeah, so you got to stay home yeah, as much as possible. Because they're worried about the elderly and vulnerable seems to be kind of going back to um, a thing that they um, suggested at the start of the whole coronavirus, which was basically to isolate the elderly and everyone else move about. But it's also part of the intelligent lockdown if you yeah. if you feel ill or you show symptoms or, or you are uh, within one of the risk groups, then stay at home as much as possible because yeah. uh, you don't want to get infected. No. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I have a hard time seeing, I think, I think we're seeing this, you know, and even in Sweden, which has been widely criticized for not really, quote unquote, locking down at all. I mean, like, you see that people aren't going out. I mean, there's been some statistics on, uh, like, how, how much Sweden's, like, GDP and stuff has dropped. And even, even in the US, the insane US, where they're, like, reopening, I mean, you're sort of seeing stories from businesses who are saying, like, you know, you have one client a day. I mean, I think people you know, feel a bit like I do, which is, is that it's kind of awkward. You're not really sure. Maybe you are like more afraid of the virus itself than I am, or maybe you live with somebody who's like much more vulnerable. So mm. it just doesn't feel like a great time to kind of be going out and like spending a lot of time and, you know, in shops and, and, and engaging in that kind of way. So I suspect it'll be a like slow walk back up from in a lot of ways yeah i agree yeah then um other measures that will uh, come into effect on may 11th is that over 18s can resume outdoor sports uh which do not involve physical contact so that is for example tennis and golf um groups up to 10 can take part in outdoor sports together as long as there is no contact libraries can reopen as well as long as again as long as they bring in measures to enforce the one and a half meter rule so that's sort of the key uh rule that we have here one and a half meter a distance from uh, from uh, from one another yeah. and as announced earlier primary schools and daycare centers will reopen school must divide classes in half and the government recommends pupils attend on alternate days rather than half days in order to reduce pressure on public transport and outside space but uh, it's up to the schools themselves to sort of uh, see how they arranged it so um, uh, th- this is not uh, not a rule or anything schools have the freedom uh, to uh, to do it the way they want it yeah um, um, and then the second milestone is June 1st. Uh, public transport will start running normal services again, but travelers must wear a non-medical face mask and also where a maximum of 40% of seats may be occupied. Uh, people who don't wear a mask can be fined. Uh, the size of the fine still has to be worked out, but currently, if you don't uh, comply to the one and a half meter rule in public spaces, the fine is f- 400 euros currently, mm. and I expect that will be around the same yeah. uh, same amount. Yeah. But importantly, yeah, so. of course, we have to said um you're not allowed to wear a medical mask because the, the, no. the, because there's a shortage of those and uh, the medical personnel need them so what he's basically said was so the rule is basically you have you have to wear a face mask but you're not allowed to wear one that actually does the job right <laughs> yes. yeah. so that's what i understand yeah, interesting yeah. isn't it yeah yeah well yeah. it was a little unclear to me actually and i i'm assuming that the government will get around to specifying this eventually but i mean this is in you know a month essentially when people have to start wearing these things on public transport so it's not like you have to know by tomorrow um but it was unclear to me whether or not he meant like the N95 masks, these sort of like high, the sort of, yeah, pristine, like gold standard of, of medical masks, you know, the ones with the filters that have to be properly fitted to your face. Or if he was just referring to like the surgical mask things, or if this, or if it's both, I wasn't really like super clear. Uh, I think he said something like that uh, 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 th- they will specify if you want to make it yourself, they will they will sort of uh, give a manual, uh, they yeah. will publish it on the website. So as I assume it will be just a very simple face mask that, yeah. uh, that yeah. is required. But do you guys like, have a, do, they say do you, you guys have face own, masks? No, I don't. No, I, I, I just ordered them online. They will be yeah. delivered uh, somewhere this morning, uh, yeah. actually. Uh, I don't have them, but I need them. So uh, I was like, I don't know where I'm 
gonna have to buy these face masks. I yeah. assume that there will be a run on face masks uh, anytime soon if there wasn't already a run already. on them. Yeah. So uh, I just uh, googled something. Well, well, um, uh, I, I found a place where which, which was still uh, which still had them in stock. So I ordered three of them. So right. nice. Be, be yeah. Sure, but yeah. What about you, Gordon? Uh, no, I haven't. I'll, I'll have to. I'll probably have to um, uh, sew my own or something. I have an old pair of boxer shorts. <laughs> but uh, no, I just think the whole thing seems kind of faintly ridiculous. So you kind of um, you, you're supposed to make your own mask, but are people are going to get training on how to put them on. How, you know, is going to be a rule about how often you, how often you sterilize them. It's like you know. The easiest yeah. thing to do would be to drive to Belgium where they're subsidized <laughs> and they cost a euro and you can oh. just buy them in the grocery store. You're so not allowed that... to enter Belgium. Yeah, you yeah. get fined for crossing the border. So you will yeah. pay well, one euro for your face be... mask but 400 euros for crossing the border illegally. But cheaper <laughs> than getting fined multiple times for not wearing a face mask on public <laughs> this transportation. Is true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, I think, I hope this doesn't get us a ton of hate mail, but I'm, I'm sort of on Greta's side with this. I don't see a ton of evidence that a lot of, that face Face mask wearing is going to make a huge difference. If people are also adhering to like the one and a half meters rule, I think that that's like much more important um, and also sort of easier to enforce because, like you said, I mean, we're having all this debate about what qualifies as a mask and what doesn't and blah, 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 blah. Whereas it's much easier to see like these two people are not standing far enough apart um, in public. So I guess it's, it seems kind of fine, but we have a couple of, um, they're called neck heaters. It's like things that the military <laughs> uses when they're in um in like dusty combat zones, basically, which were acquired, you know, with totally legally. I swear. Um, so I think we'll be we'll we will be wearing those, yeah. which but, seems fine. Yeah. I guess. KLM have um, also introduced face masks on their flights yeah. from next week, and they said you can just you can just like wear a scarf around your face instead. I, I feel like the yeah. whole thing is yeah. kind of is kind of a cosmetic exercise. Really, I don't really see it makes any yeah. difference. You know, the actual face masks people are going to wear are like sort of hand stitched things from old bits of cloth, so right. they're breathable fabrics. You can still breathe in the virus if it's circulating around you. Uh, and, and there wasn't really any sense uh, from Ruta that uh, this 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 measure had been kind of you know was being supported by the science because in the past he's always said right we, we haven't recommended them because they don't really make a difference and I kind of feel like he didn't really produce anything that um, uh, that, that revised that uh, opinion I think it's more kind of there's been such a public clamour to wear face masks he's kind of it's a bit like shutting the schools he's kind of realised that he sort of has to do this just to keep people uh, on Twitter yeah. quiet basically it seems to me. I what so. I think is sort of ironic about this is I suspect if you do not already own a face mask, which most people don't, the easiest thing that you can do is to, of course, wear a, a schmoch, the like neck scarf thing that people yeah. wear like in the Middle East, um, because of course everybody has a scarf, um, given the fact that the Netherlands banned face coverings yes. at, a, <laughs> at a specific attempt to ban Middle Eastern style <laughs> face coverings. It's quite ironic. Yeah, but, this I mean, is the way go. I'm sorely tempted just to wear a full burqa when I go on the train well there is an ex <laughs> they they made a there is a clause in the law that says if it's medically required then yeah. you're allowed to wear a face mask so uh, yeah. they, they thought about the they right. thought about the possibility they saw this coming but of, i, th of, yeah. of a, of a I think if pandemic, people are freaking out about this that they should just you know get buy a nice scarf and wrap it around your nose and your mouth and that's pretty much <laughs> going to do the same thing that any sort of cloth face mask is doing i think that that's pretty much you know all that can basically be expected yeah um I think so too. So, yeah. uh, well, moving on, we're still at the June first milestone. Secondary oh schools will reopen, and the exact details still have to be worked out. Cafe and restaurants uh, terraces can reopen as long as everyone sits at a table and there is a one and a half meter between the tables. So um, that's also something to look forward to. Yeah. Uh, restaurants, concert halls, theaters, and cinemas can reopen as well on June first for a maximum of thirty people, and that includes staff. Um, people have to be seated one and a half meters apart and uh, also by reservation only. Museums can reopen as well on the condition tickets are sold in advance and the one and a half meter rule is again maintained. Mm. Um, then we move on to the July 1st milestone. Campsites and holiday parks can reopen completely, including communal washrooms and toilet facilities. Yeah. This is very important, right? This is, this is basically what the whole Dutch summer hinges on. Yes. I don't know. Indeed, indeed. Whether so it's, it's important yeah. that just before before the summer holiday we can go to we can go back to camping. Yeah. Poor Drenta. 
Poor Drenthe, poor Zeeland. Um, yeah, poor Zeeland. Restaurants, theaters, and cinemas can scale up then to a maximum of 100 people seated one and a half meters apart, and again by reservation only. And this also applies to churches, mosques, crematoria, and congress centers. Um, they can also open up uh, up to 100 people. Mm. And then um, September 1st, that's the uh, last milestone. Uh, the ban on festival and large organized events is due to be lifted by then. But the government has pledged to give an update prior to the deadline. Um, from that date, salas, sex clubs, casinos, and sports cl- clubs can reopen as well, and contact sports will also be permitted. Uh, the government is looking into the option of reopening sports clubs and gyms earlier if solutions can be found to specific problems. Um, and again, all the measures depend on a continued reduction of the infection rate, and each measure will be given final approval a week before the deadline, and they, they can turn back to, to old measures yeah. anytime. Uh, I like the fact that, uh, that uh, the Prime Minister to specify the date on which sex clubs can reopen. I think you wouldn't get that in yeah. many countries, would you? Yeah, and also, and and he, also the fact also... that it was the same date when you're allowed to uh, restart contact sports. You know, the fact that those two kind of went together <laughs> it was a nice, um, yeah, a, a nice angle, I thought. And I was also quite, I thought it was quite curious that he specified when um, acupuncturists uh, oh, yeah, can yeah. reopen again as well. I was kind of surpri- surprised by that as well, I have to admit, but... We've gotten a couple of questions. There was a question about swimming pools, which are going to be open from Monday, um, which I think was not like totally clear in the initial uh, discussion about this at the press conference. So there was there was somebody who emailed me with some questions about swimming pools. Hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure about swimming pools, but there is a, a link to on the Dutch news website which uh, leads to the to the English language uh, website of the government, which uh, where all the measures are uh, uh, are set out. So um, yeah, maybe maybe look take a look at that. Yeah, the government's produced its own English language version, which is good, so uh, you can always refer to that if you're in doubt. The number of coronavirus deaths and infections continued to fall this week. The number of new cases per week is down to around 2,600 and has fallen by around 35% in each of the last two weeks. Uh, Deaths are down to less than 50 a day, and the three northern provinces are now down to around 50 new infections a week. The number of corona patients in intensive care has also dropped below 600, and that's significant because it means that hospitals have space to perform regular operations and procedures again. The OFEM also published a graph showing that the social distancing regulations started to take effect almost immediately once the lockdown was imposed on March the 15th. Hospital admissions hit their peak the following week and have fallen every week since, and the pattern's been repeated in every province, including the north, where there's been very little corona altogether. Just 14 out of the 5,300 deaths have been in Gronia province, for example. So big discrepancies between uh, how corona's been um, yeah, it has spread around the country. Yeah, pretty interesting. And uh, I think one of the explanations is that in the south we had carnival just as just when the coronavirus started to uh, come into the Netherlands, and uh, that that definitely has contributed to the uh, to the to the spread of the virus in in the southern part of the of the Netherlands. Yeah, definitely. And of course, the school holidays as well are staggered. So the north had its holiday a week later. So people went skiing. No, but, but so so people who went uh, from the south and the centre of the country they went skiing on their school uh, in their one week school holiday but by the time the north had its holiday um italy had already locked down so they couldn't go yeah and uh, that yeah. i think explains a lot so what's going on with testing gordon yeah one of everyone's favorite hot button words indeed indeed this, this is one of the things that always gets people um uh, flared up people get flared up on twitter about uh, testing is a more kind of difficult area the government set a target of testing everybody with symptoms by june the first as we as we heard um from uh, that was one of hugo de Jong's pledges during the press conference um and that's uh, one of the preconditions for the restrictions being eased but um, in recent weeks uh, the government hasn't um, uh, got a very good record in terms of actually meeting its targets so de Jong pledged to raise the testing capacity to 17,500 tests a day but the most tests we've seen so far is 40,000 a week so around about one third of that level uh, and last oh. week the number slipped back to around 30,000 and the government's given a number of reasons for this first of all they said the labs didn't have enough equipment to carry out the tests the labs came back and said no that's that's not a problem we have enough kit uh, th- at that point 
when the government said, well, um, that we now have a problem that not enough people are coming forward with symptoms to be tested because the virus oh. is in decline. What we have seen this week is the proportion of positive tests is down to around 8%, and it was 30% at the start of the outbreak. So that kind of indicates that, um, well, the, the, the number of real cases is, is declining. But um, it's kind of a, a concern, I think, that um, Diongo keeps making these pledges about testing, number of tests being carried out um, that don't materialize. Um, and then, oh. yeah. Uh, then given that you know carrying out the two things you have to do basically to open up are firstly to get your number of cases down well we seem to be doing that quite successfully but also make sure that you can test and trace every new infection so that any uh, you know revival of the uh, the outbreak any kind of second wave can be caught early um you know far from i'm far from convinced that they're they're actually going to be able to do that Especially now they've ditched uh, the whole app idea. So, you know, first of all, how, do yeah. we have enough tests? And secondly, how do we trace people uh, who test positive? Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, it's it all it depends. We're all on... going to be protected by cloth face mask, Gordon. It's going to be, <laughs> yeah, be fine. It all depends, of course, on 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 how many people are actually having the virus. If if that number is very low, then uh, then there is capacity at the GGD to sort of do the track and trace uh, uh, thing. But as this number grows, then there is no, no, not enough capacity anymore. But but the, the, the thing is, it, I mean, if you get like a second wave, then the numbers can start increasing quickly. So you've got to have the capacity yes, to take yeah. on more tests. Yeah. So that, that's why they're talking about. You know, getting up to thirty thousand tests, but given that we haven't had more than you know um, uh, four, four or five thousand a day. No, I think we got up to about um, I think we got up to about eight thousand a day. Actually, was the maximum. Yeah, I was going to say I yeah. thought the high, the highest yeah. number I've heard was like eight. Yeah, but that's still hmm. about half, less less than half of what they promised. So. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also a bit suspicious yeah. about that. I mean, they have a month. Like, it is, he did say from June 1st. So I guess that that might, you know, maybe they're going to be able to get some stuff done or there's some understanding of how they're going to be able to ramp this up in, in, you know, in three weeks or whatever, a bit more than three weeks. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. I think we we're gonna have to follow this, uh, yeah, closely and to see if 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 uh, Hugo de Jonge will meet his promises. Um, yeah, and I am curious to read the record. like deep dive that I'm sure you know the NRC or somebody will do about this afterwards as to what the actual problems are with with testing because I'm very curious to know. Um, why they've been so unable to sort of increase the number of tests. Like, is it really a, do they not think that the amount of testing is valuable? So this isn't getting priority. Are there really like serious supply chain issues? Is something else going on? Like I am, it does seem to me that there's probably like more to the story, although I suspect we're not going to find out until much, much, much later, much after the pandemic is over. Well, certainly in the beginning, in the early days, they had problems with um, the fact that I think most of the laboratories, they didn't have enough laboratories, yeah. so they had to in install new laboratories. And also the laboratories they had yeah. tended to rely on one supplier. Um, and of course, that was the right. same supplier based in Switzerland that was supplying most of Europe. So, um, you know, there right. was kind of a... a yeah, so is it still, does it still remain chain. to be... Yeah. Yeah, does it still remain to be those problems? Is that what we're going to find out? Or is yeah. there like a, some other things like sort of going on? I mean, I feel like if other countries can do more testing, then there is more capability. So is this like a regulation issue that like importation of medical stuff, even within the EU is like very complicated, and you can't you can't make it happen if you weren't already doing it before the pandemic? I'm just curious to see sort of how this all plays out, I think. Without extra support, the cultural landscape will turn into a wasteland, museum chiefs in the four big cities have said in a public letter to local culture aldermen. Signed by the directors of the Museum Boinans van Boningen in Rotterdam, the Centraal Museum in Utrecht, the Kunstmuseum in Den Haag, and the Stedelijk Museum in Amsterdam, the letter says that the 300 million euro support package to prop up the cultural sector is insufficient. The Organization for Theaters and Concert Halls, VSC Day, also asked for an extra 55 million euros for the sector in a letter of its own, suggesting measures like scrapping VAT on tickets and asking the national government to make a substantial donation to local councils so they can support municipal venues. On Wednesday, the government announced that museums can reopen on June 1 on the condition that tickets are sold in advance and that the 1.5 meter rule is maintained, but the cost of a hygiene protocol and to accommodate social distancing would be prohibitive for many museums, says Stadelix Museum Director. Last week, the Museum of Bags and Purses in Amsterdam became the first museum to announce that it would not open again. I am personally really sad about this. It's a gr That was a great little museum, and it was an excellent like tourist tip for people. And they did really, really nice exhibitions. 
On the 60th anniversary of the day that the Anna Frank House opened its doors, the Landmark Museum has appealed to the public for support in keeping them open. 90% of our visitors also come from abroad, said spokeswoman Anna Marie Becker. So even when they can open in June, they are not sure how many visitors they're going to have. Yeah. So it's real. It's real depressing. Yeah, it's really bad. Yeah, it's yeah. really depressing. I, I have a confession to make here. Actually, I've never been to the Anna Frank Museum, so I feel like well, maybe I should go. So to, to keep them open. neither has yeah. Niels. Yeah. So you, we're all going to go. I think we're yeah. going to do an we'll outing and outing. go to yeah. the Anna Frank Museum to support it. Good it's, plan. Um, yeah. It's a great. It's extremely intense. I think is the best way to sort of put it. They've done a very good job with the with the organization yeah. of that place to really make you feel how intense the situation yeah. was uh, have you been um, since the so makeover because they, they, they refurbished yeah. it all a couple of years ago didn't they okay we're going this is going to be our uh it's going to be our outro maybe this is what we can spend all our patreon money on oh yeah 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 we should do that yeah i think we should go because it's um it's a really nice museum and i i would i would be really sad if they if they also if they also closed and i think one of the things that the a lot of places have been warning about is like a lot of local or smaller provincial museums are the ones that are probably really really understretched um and of course they have a smaller base of support so like you know if the anna frank house did crowdfunding they would probably get lots of money because they have a big international profile but you know the you know stads archive in helderland probably does not and like it's valuable to have those kinds of smaller um more local sort of historical records and like art and this kinds of stuff it's important for people to not have to travel to amsterdam to be able to go to a museum so i think it's um yeah, it's really important to be able to keep these kinds of things open. And I hope that we don't lose a lot of them after after this pandemic is over. If this podcast is helping you keep up to speed with the unlocking of everything from golf clubs to sex clubs, why not sponsor us on Patreon? For as little as at one euro, you can make sure we have enough microphones, blankets, and lavender stopwaffles to last the lockdown. And speaking of lavender stopwaffles, we did say I in earlier so versions... I am so excited for this moment. <laughs> <laughs> this commercial. I'm so excited. No, and speaking of lavender stopwaffles, we did make a number of pledges um, in earlier versions of this commercial. Um, and we we have, um, in recent weeks, uh, received uh, a very generous uh, donation from a patron who will not uh, remain anonymous of 50 euros. And and in recognition of that, I must now declare my undying love of lavender stopwaffles. In fact, <laughs> I have uh, I have gone so far as to write a poem about my appreciation oh of lavender stopwaffles. Oh my god! <laughs> How do I love thee? Let me count the ways that lavender stopwaffles delight and amaze. The heady combination of surgical gauze with the paper that lines my grandmother's drawers. You float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, and inflame my taste buds like COVID-19. Lavender stalk waffles, you syrupy coquette. You transform my coffee break to Russian roulette. There we are. <laughs> I don't ever want to have to do that again. But thank you to oh God, Anonymous Patreon. <laughs> That is, that, it was a beautiful poem. It's, Very that's beautiful. That's the best thing that's happened to me in months. <laughs> So, if you donate nice, 75 nice. euros, Molly will have to sit through a football match. So, get donating, guys. I will, sit, I will sit through an entire football match and we'll live tweet the experience. Yes. yes. But don't donate 75 euros. If you're going to go 75, you got to go the whole way to 100. Because if someone donates 100 euros, Paul is going to vote for the Socialist Party. And that's all we really need in this world right Indeed. now. I will, I will definitely do that, but only but only in the waterboard elections. That's fine. Right. That's, that's fine. fine. As, long as, you, uh, as long as you do it. Yes. Yeah, so, 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 so you heard it here. Paul, Paul, will, Paul will get himself waterboarded by socialists if um, if you donate 100 euros. <laughs> yes. right? that's, what we, that's what we said. Yes. Yeah. So, all new patrons get the chance to ask us a question that will do our best not to answer in a vaguely amusing way. This week we welcome new patron Vittorio Nespeca, who lives in Delft. Thank you for your support, Vittorio, and if you want to send us a question uh, for next time, we will consider it very carefully. To join our growing band of socially distancing supporters, log on to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. Lockdown was a great time to catch up on your favourite binge-watch series, and there were some dramatic plot twists this week in the political kitchen sink dramas being played out by 50plus and Dink. First of all, 50plus <laughs> leader Henk Kroll quit the pensions party on Sunday. He set up a new group, provisionally called the Partei for the Tukomst, or Party of the Future, which caused a lot of kind of uh, chuckling on uh, Twitter, didn't it, Paul? Yeah, because this comedian once started his own political party, which was called Partei van de Tukomst, yeah. I think. So uh, there were immediately 
um, people making comparisons between that uh, not so serious party and this uh, apparently serious yeah, party. Yeah, this deadly serious party, which is which will be every bit as serious as every other party that Hank Kroll has set up in the past. Kroll has teamed up with Famke Merel van Goten, who defected last year from the Animal Rights Party PVDD, and I think has now represented three different groups in Parliament so far. Uh, yeah, uh, because she was first a member of the uh, uh, Animal Rights Party, yeah. then she uh, started her own faction, then she moved to the 50-plus party, which I th- assume she would also join the 50-plus faction in the Tweede Kamer, but she didn't do that. Yeah, she made an imp- independent MP, but she was a member of 50-plus, so it was all a bit curious. Yes, which was a bit curious, and now she uh, joined the faction of Hank Kohl, so she is in the third faction, which isn't that unusual. If she had also joined the 50-plus the faction earlier, then she would have had a record. Yeah, and of course it's a nice touch that Hank Cole at the age of 70 has set up a party called the Party for the Future. So, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ironic, isn't it? Yeah. Kroll said he was sick of the non-stop quarrelling in the party and blamed egos and careerists for sabotaging his efforts to make 50 Plus a serious party. In turn, the three remaining 50 Plus MPs accused Kroll of seat snatching because he's not giving up his seat in Parliament. Of course, he was elected on the 50 Plus ticket. There was also Ophef when it emerged that Kroll had registered the domain name of his new party two weeks before he announced his decision to jump ship even though he insisted that he'd uh, made the decision at the weekend after carefully consulting party members. But Cole told News here... He was keeping his options open. Yeah, that's what he said. He basically said he was keeping his options open. It was an escape route. But I think it didn't go down well with the MPs who'd gone out round party members uh, for a week trying to sort of drum up support for Hank Kroll. Then Hank Kroll kind of turned around and uh, turned tail and ran away to, to Fum Camille from Colton. Yeah, even though the remaining 50 plus MPs were elected on the basis of the votes that Hank Kroll got but that's a that's a different story yeah that's a curious thing isn't it i mean henkel in fact um he, he signed a bill in the last parliamentary session which was going to ban this practice of um just just keeping your seat <laughs> when you leave when you leave oh. a party and then <laughs> oh l- i didn't um, know that <laughs> and, and then uncannily like uh, van hacher who left the fefe day who also uh, was an enthusiastic supporter of this move but then of course when he left the party he he kept his seat as an independent so it's uh, funny how that works it's impressive how rigidly these politicians stick to their principles Indeed. So, um, the 50 plus party is the most catastrophic political party in the Netherlands, right, Gordon? I mean, it should win. It's taken the crown home. It should. It, I mean, it certainly set a very high bar. But uh, just 24 hours later, Denk sailed over that bar. <laughs> just for a very quick catch-off, first of all. Previously on the adventures of Denk, <laughs> Tanahun Kuzu quit as parliamentary leader in March, citing personal reasons. Then those personal reasons turned out to be an extramarital affair he'd had with a party worker two years ago. And you may also recall that his co-founder of the party, Seltrick Osturk, was accused of reviving the affair <laughs> in order to crowbar Kuzu out of the leadership. Once Kuzu had stepped down, the third Denk MP, Farid Azakan, took over as interim leader, but um, there was a small flaw with that plan because Azakan was on Kuzu's side in this dispute. And this week, Azakan got booted out, not just as leader, but from the party altogether, for what the party's governing board called Open Rebellion. They accused Kuzu and Azakan of trying to change the party's policies without consulting members, and said Azakan's behaviour had damaged Denk's image. But in a further twist, it turns out that banning Azakan from the party might go against the party rules, God. because the party treasurer quit the weekend as well, which means there are only two members out of three, and the board's not fully constituted, and so the Denk saga goes on and on. And also, the um, the Twitter account of Denk was clearly on the side of Kuzu, because it uh, all of a sudden started to tweet all these pro-Kuzu tweets even though the official party stance is of course that they are against Kuzu so it was a very curious uh, curious uh, situation and indeed we thought it didn't think it was possible but but that party is even more ridiculous than the 50 plus party watching this meltdown was like the best distraction from everything else going on in the world because it was just like (laughs) sort of slow motion happening out on twitter and i was just like following people who were like freaking out it was so entertaining i highly recommend watching a political party meltdown on twitter as a distraction from the global pandemic that's going on yes we are currently in an intelligent lockdown but they are not having an intelligent meltdown I'm glad I could set you up for that joke, Paul. A group of anti-5G activists went to court on Monday in an effort to stop the nationwide rollout of the faster communication system. The group, aptly named Stop 5GNL, argues that the government is taking a gamble by sanctioning the rollout, even though it has not been established that the technology does not form any risk to public health. This is unethical. You do not gamble with the health of the public, lawyer Tom Buchan said during the hearing. According to the foundation... 
thousands, that's in scare quotes, of academic publications and research projects raise at least doubts about whether or not the electromagnetic radiation used by 5G services could lead to a risk to health. So there are at least doubts. There might, there might be other things as yeah, well. There's at least doubts, yeah. Some 15 licenses for testing sites have been granted in the Netherlands, and random testing of five sites has not produced any worrying levels of radiation. That's according to the research by telecom supervisory body Aachenskop Telecom and the RIVM. The court will rule on the case on May 25th. So uh, there was also some anti-5G folks out in The Hague uh, this week, weren't they? They were, in fact, and not just in The Hague. Police in The Hague have arrested dozens of demonstrators who are protesting about the coronavirus measures close to the city's main railway station. Police estimate that some 300 people took part in the demonstration, which was broken up on the orders of acting mayor Johan Remkes. There were 80 arrests in total after the group refused to adhere to the 1.5 meter distance. And in Utrecht, there are protests as well. Some 100 people there gathered to protest the lockdowns, 5G, and vaccines. Just science. I believe um, the police signed a total of 30,000 euros or something in The Hague in the past week. So it was a profitable uh, day for the police. Yeah, I guess if they're fighting 400 bucks a person and they arrested 80 people, that's not an insubstantial amount of money. I'm suddenly yeah. much more supportive of these protests in The Hague if it means that my Kamita um, Belasting goes down this year because, you know, they collected <laughs> all these fines. Because stupid people are paying fines instead. Yeah, I agree with you on that. On Monday, the Netherlands came to a standstill at 8pm as the Dutch remembered those killed in war or during peacekeeping operations since the outbreak of World War II. This year, however, there were no massed crowds at Dam Square in Amsterdam where the main ceremony takes place due to the coronavirus outbreak. King Willem-Alexander and Queen Maxima, together with Mark Rutte and Amsterdam Mayor Halsema, lay wreaths at the National Memorial on a deserted Dam Square. And I have to admit, these images were quite surreal to see it was intense yeah it was very intense usually i try to go to to dam square on may 4th at dodo Herdenking every year Uh, this time of course i wasn't able to but the image of this packed dam square is just so familiar and to see this empty square it, it was just surreal but at the same time it also sort of emphasized or underlined the gravity and the importance of this ceremony i mean it's it's 75 years after the war of course so it's an important year but yeah so the 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 weird awkwardness of these images, it really intensified the, the ceremony, in, in my opinion. So there was a plus side on the, uh, uh, with this de- uh, empty Dem Square, I think. Yeah, it was, it was very kind of somber, wasn't it? And it, it did sort of somehow add a certain atmosphere to um, the speech by the king. Of course, the fact that the king gave a speech at all was a, a break with the tradition of uh, Dem Square, wasn't it? Yeah, indeed. Uh, usually the king does not give a speech. He only lays the wrath. But this time it was uh, a special occasion anyway, because it was 75 years after the war and, the, and, and because of the corona virus it was even made even more special so the king gave a speech and he said there had been nothing like the current situation since world war ii obviously referring to the intelligent lockdown but now we are making a choice in the interest of life and good health the king said and then the choice was made for us by an occupier with a merciless ideology who drove millions of people to their deaths the king also told the story of Jules schelfis that's a 93 year old survivor of the sobibor extermination camp he gave a, a reading at the remembrance day ceremony six years ago so he he sort of told his story and he said uh, it happened so gradually each time a step further first not being allowed to go to a swimming pool not being allowed to go uh, to play in an orchestra and he said uh, the king said Sobibor began in the Vondel Park with a sign that said forbidden for Jews and it was a very powerful sentence of his speech a free democratic state must be cherished the king said because that is the only thing that protects us against arbitrariness and madness it was quite a move speech i think it was one of his best speeches ever and uh, you can find an english translation on the website of the royal house yeah it was a good speech it was a really good speech yeah he often gets criticized for his speeches and his delivery but this was definitely one of the best uh, speeches i've seen the king give and maybe the fact that the square was empty and he wasn't speaking to a big audience helped him somehow or just uh, enhance the message there's also a line in the speech a lot of people picked up on where he was critical of his of his own grandmother wasn't he yes his uh, great-grandmother queen wilhelmina who uh, was queen during the uh, german occupation 
occupation, she fled to, to London and he criticized the way she was dealing with the Dutch Jews in particular. She never said a word about anything about the Holocaust, also during the war, but also after the war. And I know a, a number of Jewish people and they still feel offended by that, that she basically ignored the Holocaust uh, during her entire reign. So, yeah, it was the first time that a Dutch monarch uh, is, is, is criticizing uh, another one for something like that. So that was quite unique indeed. Yeah, that's quite an interesting moment. Look, the, the other speech that was given on that evening was uh, by Arnold Kumbach, who was in, in the UK, who also raised the theme of the Holocaust. And I thought that was a really uh, powerful speech as well. It was sort of echoing what the king said in a way, that uh, well, once you start uh, lumping people together in the group, that's when you start down the slippery slope that led to the Holocaust. That, that caused a certain amount of uh, res- uh, response. Uh, I think it caused some uphead because uh, Arnold Grunberg specifically mentioned Moroccans as a group, uh, that uh, when you start to regard them as a group of people rather than individuals, then uh, you you will start on a slippery slope, and it caused, of course, a lot of upheaval among among the people who um, regard Moroccans as a group and not as individuals. <laughs> exactly, yeah, that was a great thing. All, all, all of the criticism of Kumbh's speech basically justified what what he was saying. He only had, well, had one line about Moroccans in the entire speech, and that was the thing that people jumped on, which I thought was really fascinating and quite telling. And I think the point that he was making was, you know, that the, although the Holocaust is history and the persecution the Jews is something you learn about in school. The mindset that produced it is still something that people are susceptible towards, and you see it in respect of other yeah. groups. But he said it in a fairly kind of tangential way. He mentioned the word Moroccans just once with this line that was the, the, the key line of the whole speech, which is when they speak about Moroccans, they speak about me, and just left people basically to kind of dig their own graves. And sure enough, that's that's what people like Veer Duk went and did on Twitter. So I thought it was quite clever that way, the way he the way he did it. Yeah, it was uh, it was a well crafted speech. Yeah, clever exactly in that way. I think. In what's believed to be a first in Europe, Dutch footballers have agreed to take a pay cut of up to 20% to offset the cost of coronavirus to the clubs. The clubs, coaching organisations and the players' union FEFECS, there's another acronym, threshed out a deal this week to cut the total salary (laughs) bill by 35 million euros a year. The cuts will be applied on a sliding scale, ranging from 2.5% for players on 25,000 to 20% for the highest earners. Ajaxis Hakim Ziyech is believed to be the highest paid player in the Eredivisie, with a deal worth four million a year, but he's off to Chelsea in July, where he'll be earning even more beans. Players have also agreed not to take any outstanding holiday pay and to postpone their vacancygeld until June. So that's uh, a good move, surely, Molly. <laughs> oh, they get the vacancygeld even later. Vacancygeld is a scam! It's a scam! <laughs> But but, it's, but here's been put to good use, you see, because it's, it's enabling the football clubs to survive because they don't have to pay their players. I mean, if by good use you mean like propping up billionaires, having millionaires prop up billionaires, sure, yeah. it's, it's a great use. It's great. Okay, FFCS chairman Evgeny Levchenko said, I am proud that we have been able to do this and that players have shown themselves to be responsible in making a considerable contribution to solving the problem. Good uh, constructive um, response by the. So an, an uncharacteristically selfless uh, gesture by uh, football players there. Good to see. I'm I'm just surprised that you have uh, uh, it, it. It costs you less effort to pronounce this Ukrainian name than Molly <laughs> has with a random Dutch name. I mean, I think it says something about the the betterness of Ukrainian <laughs> names over Dutch names. <laughs> I think that's, yeah. that is the only perhaps, conclusion we can draw. <laughs> so, uh, it, it, is there some news about the health of uh, Ronald Koeman? Yeah, Ronald Koeman, the national team coach, uh, he was taken to hospital on Sunday uh, after he was suffering from chest pains when he got home from a bike ride. Um, he was diagnosed with a blocked artery and underwent an emergency heart procedure to uh, insert a couple of catheters. And But he was discharged on Monday. It all seemingly went well, and he's recovering at home. Koeman posted a tweet on Thursday declaring that he felt as healthy as a fish, <laughs> which is not a Dutch phrase that I was familiar with um, until this point, although apparently uh, it, no. it's well known in uh, in the coastal regions, not so much in deepest, darkest Drenthe, where I learned to speak Dutch, but yeah. uh, I think there's, there may be a connection yeah. there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, he also L- thanked less him. fish in Drenthe. Yeah, yeah. People don't do so much fishing in Drenthe. Um, in general, no, no, no. yeah. yeah. Um, and he also thanked everyone for all the get well soon messages he'd received um, at the start of the week. The Canfe Bay have told him he can have as long as he needs to get better, and that's partly because there is no football at the moment anyway. The next matches are scheduled uh, for uh, the start of September, when uh, the Nations League is due to start up again, um, with the Netherlands playing home games against Poland and Italy. But of course, it's far from clear if they'll be able to go ahead. 
The giant pandas at the Auerhans Dierenpark have produced a baby, two officials said on Saturday. Uh, the baby panda was born on Friday, just over four months since the pandas are known to have mated. Uh, despite the size of their parents, baby pandas are very tiny and blind and weigh only a few hundred grams. They are. Uh, someone said that they are similar to um, rabbit yes. babies, so mm. uh, uh, in terms of size. Yeah. Um, Wu Wen was spending more and more time in her nest, the zoo said. On Friday morning, she withdrew and started to make noises. And at 1.30 a.m., there was the first cry and the baby was born. Do baby uh, pandas cry people... when they're born? Is that true? Yeah, they, they start to yeah make some squeaking noises, just right, like right. my chair is yeah, doing exactly. uh, uh, during, during this recording. It's, it's quite similar. Mm. Um, zookeepers will now leave Wu Wen and her offspring alone. But once the baby leaves the nest, they will be able to determine what sex it is. And then it will be given a name. In the meantime, they will monitor its development via webcams. Uh, zoo officials have been doing their best to encourage Xingya and Wu Yen, now both six years old, to mate since they arrived at the specially built enclosure in May 2017 they um, have made it two times both two and a half minutes and apparently when uh, a, a new panda is born the zoo has to make a contribution to uh, a charity in China that sort of takes care of the natural habitat of the pandas of 500,000 euros so that means that the rate of the mating is 100 grand per oh minute <laughs> it's the most expensive sex club in the Netherlands it, it? is Indeed, they don't indeed. even have to close until uh, September. It's not fair. Our Hans Dierenpark Zoo in Rhena spent 16 years campaigning to bring pandas in the Netherlands and invested 7 million on a special compound to house them. Wow. Uh, Wu Wen and uh, Zingya were loaned to the zoo to participate in a breeding program and will be staying until 2023. Their offspring will remain for four years before returning to China to take part in a uh, captive breeding program. Only an estimated 1860 four giant pandas are left in the wild which does not sound like an estimation no that really does okay. yeah yeah i mean if they if if pandas didn't need human intervention and showing them porn and stuff to be able to breed there might be some more <laughs> left in the wild that's all i'm saying <laughs> yeah maybe i just hope pandas can't uh, get or transmit coronavirus because that would be a real spanner in the works uh there's more baby news right paul uh, yes, and this time from Amsterdam, because the zoo artist announced a male baby elephant was born on Monday evening. According to zoo officials, the birth took no longer than one minute, and within 15 minutes the calf was standing on his feet. Uh, it is the fifth time uh, his mother, Tong Tai, and that's the matriarch of artist's elephant herd, gave birth. Uh, she already has two sons and two daughters, and a newborn is expected to come outside today, uh, but visitors will of course not be able to see the calf anytime soon, uh, because the zoo is closed due to the coronavirus outbreak. Uh, but, I hope we get some nice uh, footage of a baby elephant frolicking about. I'm sure yeah, they will the, set up some some sort of webcam or anything. Yeah, there'll be some webcam action, surely. You'd have thought. But uh, so, so there's some, some nice new, some nice uh, yeah, lockdown news. Uh, while the humans are all in lockdown, the, the animals are getting busy. Well, the animals yeah. are also in lockdown, ironically. Well, the animals are always story. in lockdown. Apparently, yeah. the, uh, apparently, the animals being yeah. on lockdown is turning out a whole lot of animal babies. That is all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. You'll earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derrick and Paul Paters. I'm Bleep Bloop, and we'll be back next week. <laughs> to the foundation, thousands, that's in quotes, of academic publication and research projects raise at least doubts as to whether or not the electro, as to whether or not the electric, electromagnetic, bleh. You need to get off your 5G phone. Apparently. My brain has been melted by 5G. <laughs>